The world has been debating news versus entertainment for years. And guess what? Mike, your side lost. You know what? Welcome to the Graveyard Slot, where we talk about movies past at primetime. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more hype or if they should stay buried. I'm Sohini. And I'm Sarah. And today, we're talking about Morning Glory. Morning Glory follows producer Becky Fuller when she loses her job at a local morning show and lands the highly coveted position of executive producer on a show at the distinguished IBS network. However, morning show Daybreak is more of a fixer-upper than she expects, and Becky has to gather all her wits to make the most of what she's got. This movie was released in 2010. It was directed by Roger Mitchell, who actually did Notting Hill. The screenplay is by Aileen Brosh McKenna, who does rom-coms. She actually wrote Devil Wears Prada, 27 Dresses, and was the creator of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Morning Glory has a surprisingly average score on Rotten Tomatoes. It's at 55%. Since it happens to be Sarah's <laughs> most favorite movie ever, we thought we should investigate exactly what it did or didn't do to offend critics so much. I don't know if it's my favorite movie ever. <laughs> it's up there. So what score do you think it deserves on Rotten Tomatoes? I think it's at least 60. 55 is so low, I feel like. And this movie is so inoffensive, which is maybe the problem. Mm -hmm. That seems to be the consensus. Yeah. One of the reviews I found is from theindependentcritic.com. And the review said, what it does, it does well. And I think that summarizes this movie quite well because there are things to appreciate about it. There are things that it pulls off really well. But there are also other things it possibly could have done better, which is like a very vague sentiment. But I think it encapsulates this movie quite well. Yeah, I also found similar reviews, like this one from Time that reads, Morning Glory is a cut above most other recent light fare, but not a prime cut. You know, that doesn't say much. It says it's mediocre. It's not great. But there's another one that is more in line with my problems with this movie, which is from the AV Club. It reads, Patrick Wilson rounds out the cast as McAdams' love interest, but his presence seems necessary only to classify Morning Glory as a romantic comedy. The heart of the movie is really McAdams' wonderfully contentious relationship with Ford. Now, this movie is somehow classified as a rom-com, but if you've seen this movie, you know that it's barely one. It's more about this morning show rather than the romantic subplot. And when I say subplot, I mean it is barely a B-plot. It is a D-plot at best. <laughs> I'm quite certain that they wanted to make this movie about this producer who's working on a failing morning show and couldn't get it made unless it was a rom-com. Like they finally pitched it as a rom-com starring Rachel McAdams and you know that shit's gonna be a cash cow and that's how they got it made. It's also partly like, oh, this movie is clearly mostly for women, which isn't even true, but even if it was, you don't think women would like a story about Rachel McAdams trying to save a failing morning show? She's gotta have this weird <laughs> romance deep plot that's a really great point actually clearly i enjoy this movie a lot i just think it's really entertaining i especially love getting to know this world of broadcasting and i watched this movie a long time ago i think around the time it came out and since then i've made most everyone watch it with me that was the whole purpose of this podcast wasn't it you yeah. just wanted me to watch this movie hey i watched twilight for you <laughs> yeah we we all made sacrifices some bigger than others <laughs> So Sohini, you've never seen it. Yeah, I had never seen this movie before until you made me watch it for this episode. You'd never heard of it before either, right? No, I hadn't heard of it. I wasn't aware of it as something that I needed to watch. You know, there are movies that you... You hear a lot about and you think, you know, I'll get around to it one day. But this wasn't one of those. This movie, for some reason, I literally don't know anyone who knows this movie. Yeah, and it's so surprising because this cast is so well known that I was really surprised that it somehow flew under my radar. Not that I'm a huge movie buff or anything, but, you know, you would think that at least I would have heard of it because it's such a star-studded cast. No one's heard of this fucking movie <laughs> and I don't understand. You're changing that one person at a time. Yes, if you are 
listening to this and you haven't watched it, I urge you to go and watch it. And please do let us know. I will be the <laughs> happiest person on earth. You will be fulfilling your life's mission of spreading word of this movie. So yeah, like I said, I hadn't seen this movie before. This was my first time watching it. And... I have some issues with it, but I also, I mean, I enjoyed it. I had a, I had a fun time watching it. Although I do have to say for once, I think I do agree with the Rotten Tomatoes rating a little bit because I feel like it's justified. It wasn't horrible, but it also wasn't like the best movie I've ever seen. So it was, it was, you know, it's just there. <laughs> do you think it's a good movie? <laughs> you can say no. <laughs> See, this is the thing. This is why I picked that review because my opinion of this movie is like neither here nor there. I don't feel like it's a bad movie, but I also can't outright say it's a good movie. It's just like an yeah. okay movie with an okay <laughs> rating. That's my okay. <laughs> perspective. Yeah, it's, it's okay. <laughs> we will be discussing this movie chronologically. So we open on this date that goes poorly, partly because of how her job takes up too much of her life. I think it's a pretty good introduction to her character, though it does rely on the quote-unquote awkward female protagonist we see way too often in rom-coms. Mm. And as we get to know her moving forward, she has other attributes, both positive and negative, that I don't think she needed to be this relatable awkward woman they make her into when it comes to dating yeah it's almost like they're threatened by her other attributes and are too afraid to let her stand as just a confident career-driven woman she has to be awkward on top of that as well just to make her palatable enough which is a shame because i agree with you i think she has enough of a distinctive personality to have engaged us in this movie and also to be well not that it's a woman's purpose in life to be attractive to men but I feel like that was enough. <laughs> if she wanted to be attractive to someone, she could have been without this relatable persona. I'm going to see aspects of myself in all kinds of characters if you do it well. They don't also have to be like a bumbling idiot. Okay, yeah, I am a bumbling <laughs> idiot, but you don't have to remind me. <laughs> but anyway, so we're supposed to believe this is one of her major flaws, but they don't even explore it all that much. Rather just touching yeah. on it almost offhand to fuel a conflict in the romance subplot without even starting mm -hmm. any sort of real conflict in resolution about it to me this is the weakest point of this movie like this thread i agree with you that the tact on romantic subplot was unnecessary but i did like this introduction because i think it tells us a lot about the character really quickly the way the date that takes place at an odd time because of her job and the fact that she takes the phone call even though she says in the beginning that she's not going to touch the phone during the date she does it anyway so i think it's a quick and easy way of letting us know that this is a character who prioritizes her career. There could have been more there in terms of her over the story deciding that she wants to lead a more balanced life or something, but they, they don't really use that arc necessarily. I have to say, if they do explore it, I don't think that I would have liked it anyway. But my problem is that why bring it up even? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. They specifically frame this as a conflict. Yeah, they set us up for it. But it ends up being half-baked because we don't really get any kind of resolution on it. N not a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we get to see Becky's job. Becky's co-worker tells her that management had pulled her employment records, which probably means she'll be promoted to senior producer. They give her this t-shirt that says, yes, I accept for her to wear when she gets the yep. offer. I knew the moment they gave her that t-shirt, I was like, this is not going to end well. Yeah, what do you know? Things do go to shit. Becky's let go because they're hiring a new senior producer with all these fancy qualifications. This plot point really frames her as the underdog. And again, this is already a quote-unquote relatable aspect of her character and story that she doesn't also need <laughs> to be super awkward. <laughs> but I digress. We see her packing up and leaving and her team is around her wearing these t-shirts that are way too go Becky. <laughs> yeah, those are painful to see. But now she's unemployed and we see this conversation with her mother who's kind of telling her to let go of her dreams of working in broadcasting and she mentions Becky's dad and how he's the one who's most to blame for putting all these lofty ideas in Becky's head and it's the usual like discouraging parent routine. It was so harsh. In a way, maybe it is realistic because I'm sure there are people whose families aren't supportive of their dreams, but it just I understand that it's like an extra pressure point for the protagonist because here's another person telling her she's not good enough. 
to do what she loves to do. But it just never comes up again. And we just get one paltry shot at the end of the movie of her mom looking at the TV proudly. And I mean, after the romance thread, this feels like another sort of it's just there to make it seem like there's some sort of pressure on the protagonist but then it just evaporates and there are moments throughout this movie that hints at a backstory with her family especially her dad but we never really get anything concrete it's another unfulfilled thread that the narrative introduces and never resolves as we discuss this movie you'll see that i have some theories about what that could have been <laughs> here we about. go <laughs> yeah i i didn't really see the Point. They keep bringing up these things that they don't really explore fully. And it feels like they wanted to just focus on the broadcasting, which is fine. But then don't introduce these extra threads you don't need. You know, it's fine for those aspects to be part of her life. But the way they frame yeah. it. They set it up to be much bigger than it is going to be. Because I understand, obviously, we don't want to just see a character at work. We want a more rounded person who we really, you know, we can see her as a real person. But I don't know, somehow this movie just doesn't manage to do that. They introduce the other aspects of her life as if as if it's a problem and it's going to be an issue later on. <laughs> Yeah. This conversation between her and her mom could have easily just been like a short phone conversation where she tells her mom she's been let go and her mom expresses a little bit of disappointment. Instead, we had this whole scene and mention of her father who never comes up again and it just felt unnecessary. I mean, at this point, I feel like there were things cut out from the script and that's where speculation begins. <laughs> We get a montage of her job hunting. Now, this movie has many a montage. This is montage number one. <laughs> and during her job search, she's relentless. Yeah, she calls some people five or six times, which is a bit much coming from someone who has extensively job searched. <laughs> yeah, when she gets an interview at IBS, she had apparently sent them five copies of her resume. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could do that in real life. Right. But we keep seeing the straight of hers going above and beyond throughout the movie, sometimes to an inappropriate level. And I do really like that it's something consistent about her that's only a positive to a certain extent and often becomes a flaw. Yeah, there's definitely potential there because she's contrasted with Harrison Ford's character who has basically sacrificed his whole life for his career, which is the path Becky is kind of headed down. Yeah. And so this is this was a great opportunity to explore something there. But again, I feel like the movie tries to do it, but falls a little bit short because somehow this movie is an hour and a half long, but it doesn't get around to it to a degree that I'm convinced. Yeah, they do explicitly parallel their lives near the end. Yeah, they could have shown us instead of just bringing it up in a conversation near the end of the movie, they could have shown us throughout the movie, but they didn't. So Becky interviews with Jeff Goldblum for executive producer on an IBS show called Daybreak. But here we learn the reputation Daybreak holds, namely the fact that they're known as the worst morning television around and the interview seems to go poorly. Now, Jeff Goldblum is a pretty rude and dismissive person. He's supposed to be that guy who doesn't have time for niceties and whatever. It's one of the many archetypes we get in this movie, but Jeff Goldblum's character shows really well the main things that's happening in this movie which is that they've got an incredible cast. And watching Jeff Goldblum as this guy is entertaining. Seeing him and Rachel McAdams in these roles play off of each other works. And that's pretty much the case for the rest of the movie. We get a lot of archetypes that are portrayed by excellent actors playing off of each other that they imbue life to them that's entertaining to watch on screen. And Jeff Goldblum's scenes, I think, is a prime example. You're immersed in this world and you buy these characters. You feel like you're in that industry. And that's what I like most about this movie. Yeah, that might be it. That might be the appeal this movie has for you. <laughs> the thing I liked about this scene is we know Becky is not new to this industry. She's been working in it for years, yet she's still so idealistic about it that I, I really liked that about her character, that she knows that it's not all sunshine and roses, but she's still excited about it. She's still got a determination to do something big in this industry. So I really liked that about her character. What I didn't like about this scene is that the interview seemed to go pretty badly. <laughs> to me, it just seemed like Jeff Goldblum's character called her over so that he could insult her and then kick her out of his office but then out of nowhere he offers her the job it just seemed a little abrupt and out of nowhere 
Yeah, I can totally see that. But he's just supposed to be really rude. How am I supposed to know? This is the only interview of his <laughs> I've seen. Well, I mean, you're supposed to know because he acts that way like the entire time. But the only person we see him interact with is Becky. So we don't know if he's rude in general or just rude to Becky. <laughs> we see one interaction, which is presumably with his assistant. Oh, right. But yeah, I get your point. But she's on her way out of IBS and she runs into senior dipshit at Mike Pomeroy in the elevator. Ah, uh, yes. We establish who Mike Pomeroy is, namely this very distinguished news anchor Becky grew up watching on air and looks up to, and senior dipshit as a journalist who works at IBS and has worked with Mike before. We find out Mike's this grumpy, stuffy guy that senior dipshit and everyone else who knows him hates to just clear things up. Senior dipshit is the nickname Mike gives him. <laughs> I can see why senior dipshit calls him the third worst person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is. Yeah. This short scene, I think, is a pretty good foundation for the dynamic we have moving forward. It's pretty short. It's just a scene in one elevator ride, but it's pretty effective. I like it a lot. Yeah, I think it sets us up well for the direction Becky and Mike's working relationship will go because at some point down the road, we're going to have them working together. And I really like the contrast of Becky's <laughs> enthusiasm and Mike just <laughs> basically he's acting like there's a fly buzzing around him and he's just <laughs> just ignoring her entire existence but yeah it's it's a good setup you know I feel like this scene could have been set up for the entire movie in the sense that it should be the dynamic of that triad mm. that's a really interesting relationship senior dipshit is someone who has worked with mike mm. and has all this history with him and we do get glimpses of that and honestly it's the most interesting his subplot ever gets but yeah now i'm imagining like a version of this movie where it's about the three of them because they're in very different points in their career and in their lives and could have been really interesting. A part of me wonders if the movie should have started with this scene, with Becky getting this job that other people think she's underqualified for. Because then we really focus on the meat of this story, which is Becky navigating this career. And I feel like the stuff that came before, it's a little bit beside the point and kind of setting us up for this main point but it just wastes a bunch of time telling us things we don't really need to know because these things never come up again so they don't really serve the character from a storytelling point of view i do completely agree i think the subplot about the relationship thing is tacked on like i do think that is the case to make it into a rom-com so i 100 percent agree that those scenes are super wasteful and they could have explored the parallel between mike and becky instead yeah and i think this is why a part of me at the end of the movie was still unconvinced about the characters relationships i just felt like it was really quick and i just feel like there wasn't enough build up between them for me to believe that they're really close to each other and that they care about each other and I feel like if the movie hadn't just wasted this time setting us up for things that don't come to fruition then it could have just focused on what does matter and you know we get that scene in the in the beginning with Becky being really awkward and chattering and whatever we get a similar thing in the elevator with Mike because she's really excited and she's talking really fast and out of control and I think it shows us the same things about her character that that date scene did except this is more relevant to the main plot and to the character i completely agree despite what seemed like an unsuccessful interview becky gets the job as ep for daybreak and so she moves to new york montage number two <laughs> this is only the first act of the movie and we already have multiple montages this movie is 90 percent montage <laughs> It makes for some fun songs, at least. You get some fun music. Yeah, the music is really something. <laughs> <laughs> so we just keep hearing about how shitty Daybreak is. And we see that during Becky's first day, too. What with them not having doorknobs that work. It's kind of the physical manifestation of all of that. Yes, I love the thing they show with the doorknobs that keep falling off the door. <laughs> I think that's a great way of showing where the company is at financially without hitting us over the head with it. I did wonder if Daybreak is based on anything. Is it a thinly veiled reference to a notorious morning show? And I can't find anything that says that it is. However, 
I found this show called Morning Program that ran on CBS from January to November of 87. The Morning Program was produced by Non-News Unit, was an infotainment show panned by critics, and was co-hosted by Roland Smith, an ex-news anchor, and Marriott Hartley, who is quite the opposite. They even had this weird, awkward, and somewhat averse relationship on screen, partly fueled by their backgrounds. Sounds familiar. Right? The more I read about this show, the more it felt like Daybreak is supposed to be a reference to it. But I can't find a single thing online that says it might be. I'm still convinced though. I suppose they wouldn't explicitly say it if it was the inspiration because obviously they don't want The movie's already saying it. I just don't understand why no one online is talking about it. Probably because no one has seen this movie. That's the thing. I'm like, (laughs) more people need to see it so that someone that works in broadcasting can like tweet something that I can be like, ha, I was right. You need to be making some (laughs) phone calls. Sending people five copies of, (laughs) not your resume, but like a, letter five copies of the dvd of this movie <laughs> yeah we also meet the cast and crew of daybreak and i do like how becky simply dropped into the shit show they've already got routines and interpersonal relationships the most prominent of which are co-hosts colleen peck pretty stereotypical diva personality and tease jeff goldblum's word foul Paul McPhee, who's a straight-up sexual predator. Yeah, I was excited to see... (laughs) Ty Burrell, I think. I was excited to see him, but then he turned out to be a number one sleaze. So I was happy to see him go. We see how Becky grapples with it all during the first morning meeting where she's bombarded by endless inquiries from the cast and crew. With this scene, I kind of saw it coming that Becky would be able to answer all these questions that she's bombarded with, but it did feel a little bit cliche. And maybe like the movie thought it was doing something, trying to make us think that Becky would be overwhelmed and then pulling the rug out from under us, but the direction it's going is pretty obvious. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think... I was quote-unquote fooled either. So it does feel pretty satisfying to watch it happen. Yeah, true it is. Though I think the only way you'd be fooled is if you had never seen a movie (laughs) of this genre before. (laughs) Yeah. During the morning meeting, amongst the hubbub of the 99 things they're asking Becky, one of the inquiries was about what kind of baby they want for a segment, and they're listing all these attributes and races and whatnot. And you hear (laughs) in the crowd some guy volunteers, I have a black baby at home. No way. (laughs) I didn't hear that. I never caught it before this, and it made me fucking cackle. I really enjoy the humor in this movie. I think it just somehow hit the sweet spot in terms of sense of humor for me, and that's why I have so much fun watching it. Yes, it's fun. They go on the search for a new co-host. The first time she goes to Jeff Goldblum, he's pretty upset about all this possibly costing him more money. But right after, we see her on the phone with Lenny saying how the talk with Jeff Goldblum went fine and they're pretty optimistic. And it's one of the many times we see her putting this false optimism that's not exactly harmless. Now, I think Lenny probably already knows, but Becky keeps doing it throughout the many lows Daybreak has moving forward, even when she really shouldn't Mm -hmm. be. And I really thought this would come back to bite her at one point because the show gets to this point where they're going to shut it down in a couple of weeks time and she doesn't tell anyone so I thought for sure there was going to be this one scene where they're you know teetering on the edge and everyone else finds out that the show is going to go down and Becky knew but didn't tell anyone but it just there are no consequences to these pretty bad decisions on her part it's not a good teamwork like ethic (laughs) yeah it's like her optimism is detrimental to the people around her like they should have had those six weeks to look for a new job that's the cushion they were given they tell you that in advance becky so that people can start sending out resumes (laughs) but what we see here is that becky watches old tapes of mike pomeroy when he was an anchor just for fun i guess (laughs) becky realizes that mike is under contract with ibs having read Mike's contract, Becky finds out that she actually can get him for daybreak and we see her approaching him while he's out hunting. I'm assuming this is his private property and she's crossing a boundary here, but it's even worse if he's just out in the wild because then it's more alarming. How does she track him yeah. down? How does she know where he was? Even just going to see him to badger him is already... Yeah, definitely she's crossing a line. She could easily have found him at work. They work at the same company, <laughs> <laughs> so she could have just well, found I'm him. Well, I'm assuming like call his manager 
manager or something. Yeah, or that. I get it. Like, it's a movie. You want the confrontation between Becky and Harrison Ford, not Harrison Ford's manager. But <laughs> that's the real, <laughs> that's the real meat of the story. <laughs> Becky and Harrison Ford's manager. <laughs> but obviously, when Becky offers Mike the job, he kind of laughs in her face. Yeah, and we're introduced to his super pretentious attitude towards <laughs> morning television. Like, we get it. You have awards. You were a well-known, well-accomplished journalist. But like, calm down. You know, there are other things apart from journalism, and they're equally legitimate. He just annoyed me. <laughs> but Becky brings out the big guns and reveals that Mike's bound by his contract to take her offer. Even bigger than the guns he was actually holding in that scene. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying something because I think that was a rifle. Which actually, I thought she was really brave to confront him the way she did while he was yeah. holding a <laughs> rifle. Because, I don't know, his temper, I don't really <laughs> trust. I wouldn't really provoke him. <laughs> We go back to the studio and Colleen's telling Becky that everyone heard about how she tried to land Mike and failed and she's extending her sympathy and saying she would have welcomed him with open arms when suddenly Mike shows up and Colleen's not so happy after all. Yeah, this is one of several moments in the movie where I did not understand the character's motivations. Because Mike shows up out of nowhere right after he's basically laughed in Becky's face and told her that there's no way and he doesn't, it seems like he doesn't care if he's going to be breaking the terms of his contract. But then we don't even get a moment where he has a moment of realization like, okay, I think I have to do this or anything. He just shows up and it just, technically I understand it's because he can't afford to break the terms of the contract, but it feels like we're missing something in the middle because one moment he's basically refusing and the next moment he's there. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like it's that abrupt. It's not like they've already established that I won't do it. It's just that he's like shocked by the contract and then he walks away. I think that's where the scene fails a little bit because she brings out this loophole in his contract basically that she's exploiting to get him to be the co-anchor. That would have been the moment of his realization like, oh, I actually don't have a choice, but he still acts like he does have a say in the matter and he walks away like he still has this attitude like there's just no way. So I feel like if they had just omitted that bit, that would have been his yeah. moment of realization. And then the next scene would have made sense that he shows up. Yeah, I totally understand that. I think it's that I read that as more of him being angry. Yeah, fair. To be fair, that's like his entire, <laughs> his entire personality. <laughs> You get a whole hubbub of Mike and Colleen kind of one-upping each other and Becky ends up having to drag them to the literal midpoint in the hallway. It's like a mini montage when she's rushing <laughs> back and forth between the dressing rooms. Yeah. So I'm going to say it's montage 2.5. Mm -hmm. But we return to senior dipshit. This time he asks Becky out. I'm kind of with Becky here because he says that a bunch of them go to this bar after work sometimes and he invites her. Lenny's there and he tells her she just got asked out but I think that's not that clear. Yeah, I'm not an expert in this either but it didn't sound like a date because it's like a work thing and there are going to be other people there. Yeah. Lenny's wrong. I mean, he's right but he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> in the real world, he would be wrong but in movie land, he is correct. It's so funny that when she shows up up at the date it's actually just senior yeah. dipshit at the bar but i'm assuming there really is a bunch of them that hang out at the bar and we see later on that that's true yeah to give him the benefit of the doubt maybe no one was free that day so <laughs> he was expecting a bunch of people to show up but it just turned out to be him I'm imagining him like texting the entire time like fuck <laughs> you guys you said you would be here <laughs> you know i like this girl or maybe he didn't even intend to ask her out on a date but he had no choice to pretend it was a date <laughs> because it was him and he didn't want to on. <laughs> this is also where he tells Becky that Mike gave him the nickname Senior Dipshit, I think. So I don't think the romance subplot is particularly interesting. I think that's clear. The most their relationship gets interesting is when they touch on their mutual experience with Mike, which I think is pretty telling of where the heart of this movie is. Yeah, that's a great point. We're supposed to be into him because he is quote-unquote cool, and I'm like, that's not enough. Yeah, it's the male gaze again, I feel like, because... It's as if just watching Becky flourishing in her career just isn't enough. We have to have uh, attention from the guy as well. So the next time we see them together is when Becky finds him to apologize and start over. It's not my favorite scene. We get the worst line from Senior Dipshit where he tells Becky, 
you're different. Yikes. Oh god, yeah, that made me cringe. Everything about the subplot feels like they wrote it last minute in the span of one lunch break. <laughs> so specific. <laughs> they were like, oh shit, we marketed this as a rom-com, but there's no rom in it. Quick, Ada, you're not like other girls. Yeah. Add a pseudo date. Yeah. I was gonna say, I don't like this scene either. I don't understand what makes Becky suddenly seek him out to apologize. I don't like that she's just laying out her personality in front of him. I liked in a way that the conversation was direct, like they weren't beating around the bush and trying to be all coy, which was refreshing. Yeah. But Becky just straight up tells him, you know, I'm a little dense when it comes to flirting and stuff like that. And I feel like, again, it was a little unnecessary. Like we as the viewer have already seen that. And I understand she's explaining it to this guy, but it's like, why? <laughs> what is the point? This doesn't serve the story at all. It's just, we're taking a detour. Yeah. And we love Rob coms it's just that this movie wasn't supposed to be one and that's not where the interest lies the actors did a fine job with what they were given and i love the scene where she's miming rowing and he's trying to guess that was funny it was because they played it in a way where like senior dipshit his expression is straight up oh my god there's something very wrong with this woman and i love it <laughs> i like that he thinks she's batshit i guess that's what he meant by you're different he just didn't <laughs> want to say the word batshit crazy i think something they could have easily bonded over is their job yeah there was that point where because he's worked with Mike he knows about his little habits and so there's this point where he clues her in about you know Mike going on a drinking binge basically the day before his first day at the show and I think it would have been nice to see them hunt down Mike together and then him giving her these little bits and pieces of insight that he has working at this company for so long and then her showing him a new perspective because he's obviously so beaten down and he hasn't enjoyed his experience working with Mike so she could have shown him yeah. the new side of Mike and changed his perspective a little so they could have balanced each other out well in their interactions with Mike I think and learn more about each other that way as well instead of what did happen which is basically not even standard rom-com just like almost nothing they get maybe three scenes together that is a great point we get a bunch of scenes where Mike's being very difficult to work with. When they're reviewing the promo material, Becky finally kind of snaps at him for real. And you can see that Mike's surprised. I just really love seeing Becky find out for herself that the reality of this guy she's watched on screen and admired for so long and, you know, contend with that reality. Yeah, and I think it's a good parallel also to what I said earlier about her being so gung-ho and enthusiastic about this whole industry and slowly discovering that maybe she's been looking at it through rose-tinted glasses but in both scenarios in the company as a whole and then also with Mike she does keep up her optimistic attitude which I really like because I think it makes for a character who's easy to root for yeah it's not that she's gung-ho and optimistic because she doesn't understand that things are mm -hmm. grim it's that she's that way in spite of it it's not that she's cheerful even she's just always like turned up to 11 yeah no the night before Mike's first day on air, Mike does his thing where he goes on a drinking binge. So she goes out to find Mike and we get yet another montage. So that's montage. 3.5. <laughs> We have this yelling match between the two of them. And I do get where Mike's coming from here. Having to do something that's not well respected in the industry. Mm -hmm. We see more of this later, but we get hints here when they're back at Mike's house. And Becky sees that he's got this wealth of experience. I particularly like when we follow, I guess, older characters because we get so much history to work with. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a lot of potential here with a character like him it's a really interesting situation where he's been backed into a corner where he can't do what he wants to do but then he also can't disregard what Becky is asking him to do I just wish the movie had explored this a little bit more deeply because this was the point of the story I think of him navigating this path that he doesn't want to go down together with Becky but by the end of the story it's almost like we're back to square one right yeah and it's gonna sound like it's a fable or something but there's no moral like the characters don't learn anything I feel like they barely develop a little the movie's trying to convince us that they did but I still feel like they're the same in the beginning he's in this 
place that he doesn't want to be in. And by the end, he's still there and he's still got that attitude. Yeah. There's just a potential, but to me, it seems unfulfilled. So when they're at the house, Mike makes these comments about Becky's own habits of over-dedicating herself to her job. He makes observations not only about her lackluster dating life, but also about some possible significant relationship with her dad. This is where I think the movie wanted to explore that further. They make a point of building that foundation. Becky's relationship with her mom mentions of a relationship to her dad who it sounds like she looked up to most. How Mike is sort of the stand-in for that relationship because his career was what Becky and her dad bonded over and how her dream seems to be crumbling alongside this lofty perception of hers about Mike Pomeroy and honestly Becky's ambition and perception of herself and life and the industry tangled up with her hero worship of her dad and Mike Pomeroy would have been leagues more interesting yeah I think that would have been a lot more compelling and also relevant to her character arc than this half-baked romance story that we get with senior dipshit So Becky stays over, walking right across his boundary. Yeah, I was fully expecting him to get angry at the fact that she sort of barges into his home and just decides to stay over. And she's also, you know, picking up pictures of his family and saying he should invite them over to the show for a segment. I really thought he would get annoyed at her, but somehow he doesn't. True. It just occurred to me, the fact that she looks at his photographs and her first thought is invite them over to the show just shows her mindset a little at how focused she is on her career. Because, I mean, normally, you know, you might look at pictures of family and be like, hey, where are they? <laughs> like, you're, you're all alone. Where is your family? But no, she's like, invite them over. <laughs> put them on tv she can't even fathom a world in which that wouldn't be someone's first thought she would think like if i had grandchildren i'd show them (laughs) this whole like world and broadcast a whole new world yeah (laughs) but she wakes up a little later than she meant to and while she's trying to leave as soon as possible mike's very calmly making a frittata yeah this part was really funny to me because he's like most people don't know a frittata is supposed to be eaten at room temperature or if she's like (laughs) she's just rushing to get to the studio They start out their first day with Mike on air and Mike's not bantering as promised. Oh, yeah. He says one word. Yeah, very chatty. And they have this cake for his first day and he doesn't respond to it at all. He immediately jumps into the news. Which is a shame because that cake looked amazing. And if there's one thing I could try from this universe, it would be that cake. Yeah. (laughs) I had to bring that up. (laughs) They do this story on ex-president Jimmy Carter right after they do a story about a sexual offender and what happens is that they only trade out the graphics or rather the picture and they keep the graphic reading sexual offender <laughs> and it's a mishap obviously and it kind of shows how people on the show have kind of been sleeping at the wheel and Mike doesn't make it any better him and Colleen they have this bit at the end where both of them are trying to establish dominance by saying goodbye and so they say goodbye like 17 times because each one is trying to be the last one to say it get the last word in (laughs) yeah I would really want to be a news technical director which is the guy who's pointing at the screens and he's like okay switch to this camera and switch to this camera yeah that looked fun yeah I saw that they called ex-president Jimmy Carter sexual predator and I'm like I want to be that guy (laughs) (laughs) dream big I guess and there's also another part where Mike's doing the story and he uses the word abrogated, which isn't on the teleprompter. And the issue with Mike is that he looks down on Daybreak and everyone who works there and somehow, whatever, I'm reading too much into it. But I think this is just a prime example. He's that well-educated guy who thinks he's so much smarter and so much better than everyone else. No, I don't think you're reading too much into it at all, actually, because they highlight it pretty clearly. The moment he says it, there's a little bit of a chatter in the background where one's like, what did he say? That wasn't on the teleprompter. And I think it's a great subtle way of just pointing out yet another way Mike is trying to have his own way while still being contained in this role that he doesn't want to play. So now we get another glimpse into Becky's developing relationship with Senior Dipshit. Becky's watching coverage on some arsonist in the middle of the night. I am glad that they don't make the guy resent her for her dedication to her job. Yeah, that would have been a little cliche. It already is, but... (laughs) More so. (laughs) Yeah. I actually like this characterization of him. He's like, I completely get it. Go and do your job. Yeah. But okay, there's the song cue as she's going home. 
and part of the lyrics is I walk away but he lingers and it's like making you think that that's what the narrative is telling you how there's this longing for senior dipshit <laughs> that caught my attention as well yeah <laughs> but we get this conversation between Mike and Becky we see Mike try to pitch something real he mentions the governor's taxes are being audited so you know he is right that there are good stories that Becky just doesn't want to listen to because she immediately dismisses it yeah I wonder why because she is trying to improve the show and to me it would seem like the most natural thing to take advice from someone who has been in this industry and is so experienced and he's good at his job so I don't understand actually why she dismisses his idea. I think it's because he has this reputation of, you know, repeatedly pitching stories that go nowhere. Yeah, I can see that, though. The way she looks up to him, I would expect her to dismiss these rumors about Mike rather than dismiss Mike himself. I'm with you, I think. I'm also a little confused why she won't take his ideas. So Jeff Goldblum finally breaks the bad news that they're getting cancelled. Like we talked about, this is another time we see her put on this bright facade. Yeah, and I think one thing this deprived us of later on is getting to watch everyone collaborate to save the show. Because they were working together, yes, but only Becky knew the real stakes at hand. And she was the only one really striving to save the show and I think it would have been nice to see everyone kind of get in line and finally step up to make the show good enough so that it can stay on air because you know like you said in the beginning because of that mishap we see that people aren't really taking their job too seriously and kind of letting things pass the cracks and this would have been a nice turning point where she rallies everyone together and says you know we need to get our stuff together Instead, this is just a turning point for Becky to finally get past her hero worship of Mike Pomeroy. Becky storms in and confronts Mike and part of what she says to him is that my dad and I used to watch you on TV. Another mention of her parents. Yeah, it seems a little strange to keep bringing it up without giving us the background. It's like if you keep mentioning an incident that happened in a character's past without ever revealing what that was. It's just pointless. Yeah. But Becky gets this surge of optimism, I guess. I mean, she always has one, but... <laughs> she returns to Jeff Goldblum and convinces him that if they reach a certain rating, they'll stay on air. But she returns to the studio and she's ready to shake things up. <laughs> so they keep doing all these off-the-wall segments. Becky is so gleeful watching it all go down. And she's cueing all of them to do all these crazy things. Like Ernie gets a tattoo on air. He skydives and then he's also in a like a fighter jet or something. Yeah, and he passes out on air. Another montage, actually. So that's montage four. Yeah, poor guy goes through <laughs> a lot in this montage. We have this conversation between Becky and Mike about, you know, the crazy things that she's been making everyone do. And in this scene, we get to see these two characters at their most intense. Yeah, they definitely have enough differences to make their dynamic really interesting. Although I understand that Becky is a little frantic at this point because Mike is just not cooperating. But he also doesn't know the full extent of the situation. Like she hasn't told anybody about the fact that the show is going to get canceled. Maybe if she had, even if she doesn't tell everyone, it might have been nice to see her and Mike working towards this common goal. We finally see Colleen and Mike go at it they fight off air but it carries on to the show i feel like they should have just had colleen and mike fight on air all along yeah i think their strained non-banter was definitely a lot less compelling than watching them just kind of snipe at each other yeah and it's more genuine that way too and more fun to watch for sure we get to this pretty big scene with Senior Dipshit. Becky's watching the news while they're having dinner. And it's this tension of how, you know, Becky's so absorbed by the job. And I think her going off on him is a little more about the pressure she's under and how she feels about it instead of Senior Dipshit actually acting any certain way towards her. Like, he makes one comment that unintentionally sets off, you know, Becky's insecurities. Yeah, I agree. I was really surprised with this scene. Because I feel like their relationship just didn't have enough buildup to warrant yeah. even 
any type of conflict because he's barely ever there and she says this line about how he looks at her like there's something wrong with her and i <laughs> i was so confused throughout the movie he's maybe looked at her like three times and it's never been in any sort of judgmental way even when she's been rambling or when she abruptly left at the bar he's always been pretty supportive and i think that's a great point actually it might just be that she's projecting on him these previous negative experiences that she's had and she's jumping to conclusions that he's gonna be just the same as her previous experiences but for me to be invested in this in any sort of way their relationship would need a lot more build-up and i simply just didn't care yeah, for sure. And I mean, they barely touch on it. It happens in a single throwaway line from Becky yeah. and it's immediately shoved aside. <laughs> it's like in the movie's contract, there was a stipulation that they had to have this number of scenes or this number of yeah. minutes dedicated to the ROM in the rom-com <laughs> behind the scenes. They were like, okay, uh, 10 more seconds, Becky, just <laughs> hang in there and we'll get you out and we'll get back to the real story. <laughs> and I mean, even when this happens, it's so... So, like, I get it. It's about time for this relationship to crumble. It's textbook. Yeah. Except we're missing all the good stuff in the middle. <laughs> yeah. I don't even really know how this conflict or character growth is resolved. I guess we get that whole arc with how she puts her phone in the fridge at the end. Because that's how she, you know, unplugs from her job. But she is rewarded a daybreak her work pays off yeah there's no consequences to her dedicating basically her whole life to her job it's like the movie can't really decide which direction it wants to go in and what it wants the message to be yeah. nothing is fleshed out nothing is deeply explored everything is sort of surface level it's got these contradictory messages it's just so strange and i wish they had just never made this conflict happen in the first place if they were never gonna delve into it it's just it ties into her parallel with mike as well mm -hmm. i guess yeah they make it tie in. it doesn't have to tie in yeah. they don't need it but they mention it explicitly where he points it out himself that he sacrificed a good relationship with his family for his job and he sees becky doing the same thing but then once again it's just left there yeah they don't do anything with it <laughs> yeah they they just i think they just try to go in so many different directions that they end up not exploring any of them properly it's a shame so we get glimpses of mike seemingly planning something in the background but what happens is he checks becky he says he wants to cover a sauerkraut festival and on the way there she realizes this isn't the way to that festival <laughs> i wonder what's happening yeah i can't believe she fell for it because mike without any indication of wanting to change he just does a complete 180 where one day he's like i'm not saying the word fluffy and the next day he's like <laughs> Let's go to a sauerkraut festival. And they're all like, okay. <laughs> like, how naive are you? He's been sitting out this whole time just watching them really judgmentally, which I understand. I also would have been judgmental of Kali nearly eating that frog in the guise of kissing it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, maybe they were just optimistic that he's finally joining in the fun. <laughs> but alas, that was not the case. No, it is not. They pull up to the governor's country house and Becky finally throws a Hail Mary and she tells him, like, we're gonna get cancelled. And he gets this look on his face, to me at least. It's clear that he does care. It's enough to stop him in his tracks. So it is clear that somewhere deep down, he <laughs> does care a little. And I mean, you know, Becky says that they're going to get replaced by soap operas and game shows. And I guess he is even more peeved by those programs. <laughs> and we see here that Mike hasn't been sleeping at the wheel either. He is this excellent reporter that Becky thought he was. Yes, this was my point as well when I was watching is this whole climax and then the bonding moment that we have that comes after it with him and Becky. It all would have been a lot more powerful if they had been working together on it the whole time rather than Mike going behind Becky's back. 
and working on this by himself. And then Becky's in the other corner working on things by herself, trying to force Mike to do things he doesn't want to do. If they had met in the middle and worked something out, it just would have been a lot more satisfying in my opinion. I see that in regards to their relationship with each other. I agree. Yeah, I just, I have a problem with the way this movie is structured, basically. Like, I would have started <laughs> way later on and this scene would have been earlier on as well. And the climax would have been something different. Yeah. I do like the sequence where Becky's on the phone with Lenny and he's like, we gotta air something. Like, they're saying like, oh fuck, Ernie can do his fucking weathercock um, segment that he's been <laughs> pitching all along. I feel bad for Ernie though. We see him rushing through the studio with an armful of weather veins really excited to do his segment on it and then he just topples over <laughs> they put him through so much you know what <laughs> this do. movie is <laughs> trying to kill ernie <laughs> just you wait till episode six that's what that was in reference to <laughs> they do get this bonding moment becky saying like you could have told me I'd, i might have covered it anyway but we know that's not true he did bring up albany and she said no mm -hmm. this is the most explicit this parallel gets he says nobody thinks i can do this job but i can this is a nice moment between the two of them where i think becky realizes that she shouldn't have dismissed mike so quickly and she realizes that if they work together, they might actually be able to build up the show into something good. Which is why I think it should have come earlier on rather than being the climax of the story. Because after this, we wind down and the show has already increased its ratings. And it's all been because of Becky alone. We just never get what I think would have been fun to see, which is them working together to save the show. You're right. We also touch on how he feels embarrassed to see his grandkids after his apparent fall from grace, at least like within the industry. And it's a bit of a parallel to Becky and her mom as well. Yeah, and I think it humanizes Mike really well. This is the first time where I understood him a little bit better and he was more than just grumpy dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, he even like talks about how he fucked up with his kids because of how much he spent his life working. And that's what pushes her to patch things up with senior dipshit. Yeah, I think we covered this before when we talked about the fact that the movie just doesn't know what it's trying to tell us. Because they try to convince us that this is the parallel between Mike and Becky. The fact that she's walking down the same path as him, basically. But like you said, she's rewarded yeah. um, for everything she does. Whereas Mike supposedly had this huge fallout with his family. So it's very contradictory and i'm not convinced yeah i think they should spend more time exploring it instead of just at this climax i think there was enough potential between mike and becky in the fact that they have such a different perspective to the industry but they both have a huge respect for it as well that's their uniting point they just differ in their opinion about what makes good television and i think that is enough you don't have to drag in this backstory and try to convince us that she'll suffer down the line because she's been focusing on her career so much like it just wasn't needed yeah if they just actually left her private life alone it wouldn't have bothered me that he brought that up definitely it rounds out his character more to find out what happened yeah but because they make an attempt yeah the fact that they relate it to her and try to make it a parallel with her is what bugs me i completely agree he also says, like, I had nothing until you came along. When I started watching this movie, I thought he was retired at this point. But it's been six months. <laughs> and, like, I get it. Like, he's had this reputation for a while now. But did he have nothing? Yeah, I agree with you. I just overall was not convinced by Becky and Mike's bond, I guess. We needed more of these little moments between them before I could be convinced that she really brought something into his life and vice versa. Yeah, I actually, I do buy their bond. I do like it. But in regards to this line, it took that one step too far for me. We're not that close. Yeah. <laughs> I do agree with you. Watching them together on screen is really fun. It's just... I think it should have been balanced out a little bit with these quieter moments where they realize 
hey, you know, she's not so bad. Oh, hey, he's trying. Again, I just feel like we missed a step in the middle where it should have been somewhere in between. Like, they're still bantering, but now it's on friendly terms. I just didn't get the friendliness enough. Um, you know, this is a big thing that Daybreak covered the governor's arrest. And so ratings go up and Jeff Goldblum tells her that she actually did it. She bought them more time. But NBC's Today Show calls Becky in for an interview. And honestly, depending on the role, I think she should have taken it. I can see how she wants to keep the role of EP though. Yeah, it's a risky move, but I actually think if she can pull it off with Daybreak and make it even bigger, then obviously it's worth it for her to stay. I guess in a way, it's in line with what we've seen about her in that she believes in her abilities. And I think also it's a vote of confidence for Mike as well. Yeah. But so she goes to find Senior Dipshit. I feel like the first person she'd want to tell the good news is not Senior Dipshit. Lenny! <laughs> even Lenny. I was going to say Mike. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mike too. But even Lenny, honestly, had more scenes with her. And like scenes where I thought they were really sweet. Yeah, I love them together. Because he's such a nice co-worker and they work so well together we see more of them than we do her and senior dipshit yeah i mean they don't even dedicate that much time to the breakdown and resolution of becky and senior dipshit's relationship honestly i didn't even remember they were in a fight <laughs> i thought like she just wanted to talk privately with him and that's why she's like oh come out and i'll talk to you <laughs> and then afterwards i just realized that oh this is supposed to be like a dramatic thing because they're in a fight and i completely forgot but their resolution is also one line. The problem is one line and the resolution is one line. It's just so funny. Yeah, they expect us to fill in the blanks ourselves. And that's just... Because even they know it doesn't matter. We don't yeah. care. Yeah. But Becky is really happy about this change in attitude in Mike. And so she starts pitching all these ideas. But Mike is unfortunately still the way he used to be. He's not volunteering anything worthy. And they have a fight. And the fight between Becky and Mike lands much better. And I actually care about that. I half agree. I do think their fight lands a lot better than Becky and Senior Dipshit's so-called argument. There's a lot more tension in this and I definitely felt more invested. But like I said before, I'm not 100% convinced of their loyalty to each other because Mike genuinely looks a little hurt when Becky says she's considering the job at NBC. But I understand that Mike has trouble cooperating, but he does care. I just wish we had had a few more moments where we saw that he cares. Because if we had had this scene earlier on with him doing this huge story and then still going back to square one and refusing to cooperate, but then slowly we start to see this change a little, then I would have understood their loyalty to each other and how he and Becky could build the show back up together. But as it is, it seemed unearned yeah yeah exactly it seemed unearned like the conversation she has that she's considering this other job it would have been more natural to me for her to have this conversation with Lenny even than it does with Mike if I had a problem with this scene I think it would have been the fact that after all of this why is Mike surprised that his attitude has consequences he's acting like it never even occurred to him that he could break this relationship between them or like a kid who's been throwing tantrums all this time and when they get scolded he's surprised and he's upset and that would be my critique of it but in reality I actually don't mind I like it <laughs> as it is I think it holds up well against the scene between her and senior dipshit in comparison to that this is a much more compelling scene and this thing with Mike is another thread about the thing she dreamed about as a kid. You know, this is the man she looked up to, the reporter she watched with her dad, aka the other man she looked up to. And all of that not being as she imagined. And like, that's not real. It's letting her down, just like her mom said. And again, if they had had this thread about her dad, this would have been the place where it all kind of crumbles, I guess. Yes, that's a great point. I think this would have been really 
powerful as a climax where Becky finally confronts the idea that Mike is not who she was building him up to be in her mind this whole time. I mean, that is the scene, right? It is, but it's just the reason for it is that he's still not cooperating even after they had this big break. And that's not a change. Yeah. Yeah. It feels too late in the story for this to still be the conflict. Yeah, I agree. You know what I think might have worked a little bit better? They slowly start working together, but then Mike goes behind her back to do something. Something like that, where she realizes, you know, I, I thought we had this whole teamwork rapport thing going, but you betrayed me. That sort of thing. That would have been great. Just a different reason for her to have this crisis rather than him being uncooperative because it's just too late in the story. And so th this was my issue is that there's just no character development because Mike was pretentious and he pretty much remains pretentious until <laughs> the last second. Yeah. So that last second is that we get a classic airport scene. Oh, yes. <laughs> the broadcast version of an airport <laughs> scene. It's so funny because like the main tension is so clearly between Becky and Mike. But because we also have this romance subplot, it's so hard to ignore that all the charisma is in this working relationship instead of the romance. Mm -hmm. It's so glaring. The romance subplot is already... It's just meager as it is. And then in the face of this much more interesting relationship, it just falls even shorter. <laughs> Becky is interviewing at the Today Show and Colleen is laying into Mike. And Mike gets this realization of like, I need to do something. He just leaves the broadcast. But he starts gathering these ingredients and suddenly he's making a frittata on screen and talking about its history. And, you know, Mike doesn't do these fluffy segments. And Becky's at her interview and she sees on TV and she calls it Mike Pomeroy having a mental breakdown <laughs> on live TV. I feel like it wasn't Becky who rejected the job offer. I feel like they told her it's a no after that interview. Oh yeah, for sure. Because she not only interrupts the interview to watch the TV, but she also picks up a call in the middle. She's dressed totally inappropriately and yeah, she leaves halfway through. So obviously, this is like Mike asking her to stay. Mike saying, okay, fine, I'll do these fluffy pieces if you stay and I'll be more cooperative. And I do like that scene. I think it's really cute. Yes, I like it too. And I think it's really true to Mike's character that he's subtly telling her that he cares about her because I wouldn't expect him to actually profess it out loud. But this is, this is a very Mike way of telling her that he cares about her. I just, once again, I feel like it's a tad unearned. Because I just feel like there are a couple of scenes missing in the middle there that they took up with senior dipshit, probably. Or like the 99 montages you get. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Cut the montages and senior dipshit and add in more scenes with Mike and Becky. But so she leaves the interview midway and okay, if I were her, I wouldn't want to miss a second of that broadcast. I would have stayed so I could see it on the TV because she spends <laughs> all that time running back to the studio <laughs> instead of seeing what Mike's doing. Like she missed the whole thing. Yeah. And the fact that he said fluffy on, yeah. on broadcast when he said he wouldn't. I really like that touch. But yeah, we get this shot of Becky literally running to go back to Mike, a la classic airport scene. <laughs> <laughs> and like you mentioned, she's dressed really inappropriately for a job interview. She's in this dress and she has like a cardigan to make it a little more professional. But she looks like she's going to a wedding. And she even has like her hair all pinned up. Yeah, it's uh, leagues away from what she was wearing when she interviewed for the daybreak job. Especially with this, it's even more blatant that this is a play on the classic rom-com trope. And obviously, she looks like this because they want her to be in a pretty dress for the climax. And if this is an actual rom-com, the climax would have been between her and Senior Dipshit, but it isn't. <laughs> Which just proves your theory. <laughs> I mean, at this point, they were just having fun with it, right? It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. If that really is the direction they want to go in, I'm definitely missing more of that. 
throughout the story. I actually would have really enjoyed it if they had played around with those tropes from the very beginning and like subverted them. Yeah, maybe Becky and Senior Dipshit's relationship was a parody all along. And that's why <laughs> that's why we're so unconvinced by it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's all wrapped up really nicely. Like she stays at Daybreak and Daybreak stays on air. And we get these glimpses of like Becky hires her friend from Good Morning New Jersey another montage oh my god yeah <laughs> this would be 5.5 maybe six let's round it up to an even six <laughs> yeah her running back to the studio was kind of half a montage so yeah they, they <laughs> also i thought she was just gonna like cross the street but no she like crosses a whole fucking park she's like <laughs> crossing streets i think it would have been more realistic if she gets there and they've all wrapped up and it's all yeah. finished already. <laughs> and they're like where were you just running through new york she looks like shit <laughs> we get the only resolution to the thread of Becky sacrificing any potential romantic relationships for her job by one shot of her putting her phone in the fridge. Yep. And it wraps up with Becky and Mike talking about future stories they can do together. And their bickering is more pleasant now. And that's how we end Morning Glory. <laughs> and the fact that it ends with Becky and Mike instead of Becky and Senior Dipshit is just the biggest indication of who the story really is about and the fact that yeah. the rom just doesn't fit in this rom-com. And now we've got some absurd conclusions. I think one was the fact that Senior Dipshit never wanted to get into this relationship in the first place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he just accidentally fell into it and then was too awkward to decline when <laughs> Becky just assumed it was going to be a date because of Lenny. <laughs> you know, the actual awkward protagonist here was Senior Dipshit all along. <laughs> <laughs> He's the quirky, not like the yeah. other guys. <laughs> And our second absurd conclusion is that they had a certain quota to meet on how much romance is in this movie for it to be a rom-com. <laughs> and that's why Colleen and Mike get together at the end. They're just trying to shove more rom in. Like, you're missing one second of rom. Where is it? Yeah. <laughs> and our third absurd conclusion is... The beginning of Ernie's villain origin story. <laughs> Because they yeah. put him through so much. They strapped him onto a roller coaster. They made him skydive. They put him in a fighter jet. And then, poor guy, they gave him hope that he would finally be able to talk about his weather veins that he had been <laughs> anticipating this whole time. And they didn't even let him do that. I feel like anyone would snap if they were in Ernie's place. For sure. So obviously, I really like this movie. No kidding. <laughs> and I think it's got a lot of flaws, a lot of unfulfilled potential. It's just that I have so much fun watching it. I think it's really funny. And the actors are really entertaining to watch on screen. What are your thoughts? I think this discussion really helped me realize my issues with this movie because before I was just lukewarm about it and I wasn't sure why. And now you hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the opposite. I realize now why you find it so fun. Oh, really? Yeah. And I also realized that it has so much unmet potential that I really wish they had explored a little bit more. Looking at it a little bit closer made me realize the good and bad aspects of it because the movie itself, when I was watching it, just didn't give me much until I made the effort to think about it more. So would you recommend this movie? Yeah, I think I would. Really? <laughs> as long as you don't go into it expecting like a rom-com, if you're just in it for a fun time, then yeah, I would recommend this movie. Well, clearly I would as well. <laughs> <laughs> as you have been doing long before this podcast, and you probably will long after this podcast too. <laughs> yeah. It's a really fun movie. It's got great performances, and it's really funny. So that's all for this episode. Next time, we'll be discussing 13 going on 30. If you have any thoughts to share on the movie, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Twitter and Instagram, or email us at thegraveyardslot at gmail.com so we can share on the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot. <laughs>